It's Tuesday, March 5th. Welcome to Market Fillery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, New Orleans' own Abby Mallon. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I know you're not from New Orleans, but it's <laughs> as you were talking about before we started taping, it's Fat Tuesday. Happy Fat Tuesday to everybody out there. You went to school in New Orleans. We'll get to that, because I'd like to learn a little bit more about Fat Tuesday. Well, we got earnings to get to. We do. We're going to start with Target. Okay. Um, fantastic holiday quarter. Profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Their digital sales continue to climb. Uh, stock up nicely today. The stock is up nicely. So, as you mentioned, this is their fifth consecutive year of digital sales, growing at a greater than 25% clip, which is actually just phenomenal for them. Um, but overall, I think you know Target has continued to sort of thrive even in the space of kind of flagging retail, and I think um, part of that is maybe tempered expectations from analysts. So, I don't think anyone was expecting that um, Q4 comp sales were up 5.3%, including in-store sales up 2.9%, and digital sales up 31%. I mean, those numbers are just phenomenal, especially given the landscape of retail. So, Yeah, I mean, the, the thing that stood out to me was that, that same-store sales number coming in higher than 5% for a retailer of this size, I thought it was great. I was a little surprised when I went back the last Couple of years looking through uh, the various places that this stock has visited because I think of Brian Cornell, the the CEO at Target, as just being a, a fantastic leader of this business. He came in. I think it's this August is going to be the five year anniversary of of Cornell taking over as CEO, and came in at a tough time for Target. Uh, did uh, had a great first year. Again, the stock has sort of bounced around to different places, but I think operationally, Target is definitely in the upper echelon of the traditional bricks and mortar retailers, especially when you consider its size. And to your point, especially when you consider what they've been doing with digital sales. Yeah, I mean, they have a footprint of 1,800 stores, so that is no small feat to manage. I think. Increasingly in this space, you've seen sort of there's um, the really good operators, which is your Targets, your Walmarts, your Costcos, and then you have sort of your worse off ones, and there's really no middle space for them. So, um, again, I think you know the stock's reacting positively because I think even for the best of the best, this was a pretty phenomenal end of the year for them. So, in terms of kicking off this new fiscal year, uh, they seem pretty optimistic, the guidance seemed pretty good. It seems like if you're looking for the stock to move higher in a meaningful way over the next 12 months, they got to follow up this strong holiday quarter with at least a couple more. Maybe maybe not coming in at close to five and a half percent comps, but they really can't do much worse than that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all relative to to overall market performance. So, I mean, we've been talking for it feels like forever, maybe two years, about how the markets seem highly valued and pretty frothy and. Um, you know, you've seen the tech space heat up, and recently it's cooled off a little bit, so that's a little less volatility. But I think in the event that we do start to see um, less growth orientation in the market, I think Target could be actually just well positioned from an overall portfolio management strategy. Let's move on to earnings from Salesforce.com. Uh, shares of Salesforce down a little bit. I'm assuming that's because of the guidance for Q1, because it looked like the fourth quarter results were rock solid. 
Fourth quarter results were really good. So Q4 revenues were about 3.6 billion. That was up 27% in constant currency. Uh, full year revenue was 13.2 billion. So that was up 26% year over year. Um, they had a lot of growth in their $20 million plus customer relationships, up 48%. Um, so a lot of positive inertia behind them. I think. The uh, challenge the market is having with this quarter is not necessarily the um, immediate guidance, but maybe they're more long term. So, management raised their goal for 2023 revenues of 26 to 28 billion. So, that's implying about a 21% growth year over year at the high end. And I feel like analysts were just maybe a little bit more skeptical of um, Salesforce's ability to do that. And management was not really. They were questioned about it, and I didn't feel like their answers were necessarily addressing the exact questions that they were given. I didn't listen to the call. Um, I mean, Mark Benioff has done a great job leading this company, and certainly if you're a shareholder of Salesforce, I mean, this you're is, happy. You're yeah. happy. I mean, even with the drop today, the stock's up nearly 30% over the last year. It's close to a double over the last two years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, what was Benioff doing on this call? Because this is, he's got a track record, and between the average Wall Street analyst and Mark Benioff, given his track record, I'm going to side with Benioff. Yeah, I mean, so. Um, Unless he was just being completely obstinate on the call. No, he wasn't. He wasn't at all. I just think maybe he was being a bit opportunistic or maybe um, a little bit too confident. So they. I mean, 21% growth year over year isn't outrageous for what they have done, but I think, you know, they mentioned a lot that um, CRM, which is their specific space in that enterprise software market, is the fastest growing of all software markets. So, um, this is really driven by the movement to cloud, the drastic digital transformation, and also their customer base. But um, you've increasingly seen IT companies spend more on innovation rather than maintenance, which is where the primary spend was in the past. And so, while those should be tailwinds for Salesforce, I think you're going to see a lot more competition in the space. And it's not necessarily that um, Salesforce isn't doing anything; they're doing everything correctly, I would say. But I think you know analysts are just more expectant of higher competition and more. Just more competition. Who are some of the other competitors in this space? Because we throw the word cloud around a lot, and there are so many businesses involved in one aspect or another. Who is Salesforce going up against, and and therefore who's going to be the happiest if Salesforce just disappeared from the earth? Right. I mean, I think that is a very wide net we're casting here because Salesforce is you know sort of that classic um, software product suite. So they do so many things that. A can solve so many issues for so many different customers that it's not necessarily that anyone has one product that is Salesforce or this, but sometimes it's a variety of niche players that maybe do one aspect of something better than another. So, um, I mean, that's an advantage for them, obviously, because it's easier to, as a customer, to have one relationship rather than multiple, but I don't think it's necessarily um, as stable or defensible as they are maybe presenting it to be. Uh, last thing on Salesforce before we move on, I mentioned the performance of the stock over the last couple of years. When you look at this on a valuation basis, is part of the skepticism from the analysts, hey, look, you've had a great run. You're not flying with the cheapest <laughs> stock in the world. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I always expect that to be a consideration. You know, I think, again, we've seen the return of a little bit of volatility, especially in the tech space. Um, I think it's been a long time coming. We're in a 10 year bull market now. So it feels like, um, 
there should be some coming back down to earth, a realistic grounding. And I do think this is a really expensive stock, and it always has been. So, again, not unjustified. I think they've done a phenomenal job. I just don't know how um, how that's going to be looked at in the next five years. Yeah. By the way, for um, all of the headlines back in December. Which was just three months ago. I mean, think about like people were running around with their hair on fire, and you had some investors out there who just said, "Hey, look, I've had a good run. I'm out." Right. And, right. And well, then you know, from the December 24th lows, the market, you know, S and P 500 is up about 15, 16 percent since then. Right. So um, yeah, that's why that's why we try not to be traders. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the food delivery space because you're the first person at this company. I ever remember hearing talking in a meaningful way about Grubhub as a stock and saying, "No, really, this is one worth paying attention to." And Grubhub, the stock has had you know kind of a rough twelve months, but in general, this is a well-run business. And if you're a long-term shareholder, you've been rewarded because of that. Um, where do you think this space is right now? Because obviously, with Grubhub competing against the likes of DoorDash, which is private for now. Postmates, which announced they're going public, um, and any number of Uber. regional players, obviously Uber with Uber Eats, that sort of thing. Um, this seems like maybe not a mature market, but a maturing market. What do you see when you look at this landscape? I think it's a really interesting space. So, um, for a little bit of context, Grubhub is about a $7.2 billion market cap. As you mentioned, uh, in February, early, Postmates has filed. Initial paperwork for an IPO, and they're valued about 1.85 billion. So still smaller, but again, still a unicorn up with those other ones that we're waiting for public offerings. And then you have DoorDash, um, which announced another round of funding at the end of February, and they're put it at about a 7.1 billion dollar valuation. So almost equivalent with Grubhub. And then you have Uber Eats, which is obviously factored into Uber's overall valuation. Um, so I think. It's definitely a spot where investors are seeing opportunity. Um, I think it's an interesting spot, again, because Grubhub is really the only pure play that is public, where you have the most information. Um, I still would say it's pretty early on in these stages, and I think investors are just recognizing it as a... I think when, it, when Grubhub first came public, I don't think people saw this as an opportunistic space. And I think we're now turning the corner on that, and we're not sure who this winner is going to be, or if it's one winner or all of these are winners. But it finally feels like people are recognizing the space. So, what caught my attention the other day was a television commercial for DoorDash because, for the longest time, uh, people of my age and older um, just thought in terms of, oh, if I'm going to get something delivered to my house, I have to call the restaurant. I have, you know, and obviously, if you're looking for anything other than pizza, now right. you have Grubhub, Uber Eats, DoorDash, all these others come along and they say essentially, whatever restaurant you want. We're going to get it for you. And um, the DoorDash commercial, I thought, did a great job of sort of getting that across, where it was showing in the commercial a variety of different people in different situations, different life situations, you know, um, a young couple with a newborn baby or people throwing a party, like all this. So, all these different situations and all these different cuisines. And it was essentially, yeah, DoorDash is going to get you there. And for whatever reason, for me, who has not used any of these services, it was a little bit of a light bulb moment where I was just like, oh, that's how this works, where yeah. I just get the DoorDash app on my phone and presumably I don't have to worry about what I'm in the mood for. Right. Towards that end, 
and you just touched on this. I'm not saying this seems like a zero-sum game, but it really does strike me as an industry right now that's only going to have a couple of winners. It's hard for me to imagine, if they do it right, that Grubhub or DoorDash or Uber Eats, for that matter, I'm sorry, Postmates, but the name alone just isn't getting me interested. (laughs) Um, So I'm just going to push them offside. But it's hard for me to imagine that if they execute on the right level, that they don't become one of like two or three winners. Yeah, I mean, I guess everyone is sort of trying to carve out their niche. So recently, you've seen Grubhub push out with a lot of um, chain national brands, um, Postmates. I know you dismissed them, but they. I'm dismissing the name. That's yeah, the, the like, name. DoorDash, I get it right from right, the name. Right. Postmates, I immediately go to Post-it notes. Postmates is a little bit of a different um, operating strategy. So they deliver random items. So they are the official. They have a partnership with Apple and Walgreens as well as restaurant food, um, and they do it for. They do unlimited delivery subscriptions for deliveries of $15 or more for a flat fee of $9.99 per month. So, um, in that sense, I would think Postmates is more of an Amazon sort of competitor, which is not a space I'd be as interested in. <laughs> Just uh, the fact that they're saying we're going to start a business and we think we'd like to uh, take, replace Amazon. Replace Amazon in terms of delivery. Yeah, it's yeah, that's challenging. I mean, a flat fee for delivery is kind of interesting, but I don't know about the logistics of doing all of the other like tech and medicine and things like that. Um, and then DoorDash. They also have started delivering groceries, so they partnered with Walmart last year. I mean, I think logistics is a it's a hard business. There's never going to be a huge amount of profit, or it's going to constantly be you know a game of small margins. Um, and originally, when I started looking at this space, I thought at least on a geographic player, it's going or on a geographic basis, there's really going to be one dominant player. So it's going to be a winner take all at least by geography, and I. I think maybe my thinking has shifted a little bit. And so, um, just if you look at other logistics industries, so ride sharing, you have Uber, you have Lyft, you have traditional yellow cab, and then you have a lot of regional or geographically focused players. Um, housing, so if you think about like you have your Airbnbs versus your Marriott's versus your Hyatt's, et cetera, um, package and parcel deliveries, so you have the uh, U.S. government, in addition to Amazon's own logistics, in addition to UPS and FedEx and all these other players, um, maybe there is room for more than one. Is my new thinking, but I'd ha- I haven't decided where that caps out. And I think it. I mean, on some level, it can't just be price, right? Like we have to have some sort of other differentiator that makes one more or less appealing. Right, and it, it, to that point, it all comes down to the execution. Right, like, you know, right. You, you can love Grubhub until they start. Doing a bad job of delivering, right, and then exactly, you have exactly. other options. Who do you use? I use Grubhub. Okay, but that Grubhub owns Seamless, and I first started ordering delivery when I was using Seamless in okay. New York. Um, definitely an interesting space that we're going to keep watching, and um, curious to see how these IPOs go. Um, real quick, because we wrap uh, before we wrap up, as I mentioned, Fat Tuesday. Um, yeah, today. Everywhere in the world, it's just Tuesday, but in New Orleans, it's Mardi Gras. It's Mardi Gras. So, what is a typical Fat Tuesday like for the average college student in New Orleans? Um, what does the day look like? I don't need all of the gory details, but just yeah. some of the like, hey, we wake up, it's Fat Tuesday. What are we doing? Are we going you're to a parade? Awake. You don't wake up. You're okay. still awake. You're still awake you're from still Monday awake. night. Okay. Um, yeah, and then there's two really large parades on Monday morning. So, it starts with Rex. So, each parade, 
has a crew, and um, the crews are all historic, and they have a traditional aspect to all of them. So Rex is actually the oldest and one of the most prestigious parades, and so they roll Tuesday morning, and then right after Rex, it is Zulu, and um, so those both roll, and they should be finishing up soon-ish. Okay. And then you go to sleep. Then you go to sleep. Yeah, Tuesday afternoon you just sleep. Presumably, so you can wake up Tuesday night. No, it, no, Mardi Gras is pretty much over. Oh, by it's the over end of Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, here I thought live no. it up big before Wednesday. No, no. we're just oh, carnival we're just... season starts like you know end of January, middle of January, and then it really Mardi Gras like the celebration starts like Thursday night ish with Muses, which is another parade that um, they throw shoes and it's a big deal to catch a shoe. And then by Tuesday, you better catch a shoe if someone's throwing it at you because yeah. it's not like beads where it's like, well, if I don't catch the beads, well, I'm not going to get harmed. I mean, depending on the shoe, you can get whacked. Yeah, but everyone's jumping for it, so you got to strategize. In four years of going to college in New Orleans, did you ever once catch a shoe? I didn't catch a shoe. I have caught a coconut, which is the the big throw for Zulu. So, I've made some some wins. Given your height. That's impressive. Yeah. I think they thought I was a child where they're like much nicer and they just drop them off for you. Abby Mallon, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's gonna do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Well, I've got a I wanna know what's kind of a ball. Oh, and darling, you're I've got my ticket in my head. Oh, and darling, you're I've got my ticket in my head. When I get in your lane, I wanna see the Zulu King. Until I see the Zulu queen